Does everybody know what this is? Gideon Bible. It's a Bible. Gideon Bible. I paid $800 for this Bible. Pretty cool. <laughs> New Testament, Psalms, pretty good font. You know, it's, it's all right. 800 bucks. It's three years old, though. So I got rid of it. And I upgraded. This Bible cost me $1,000. It's got the entire Old Testament in it. It's got the entire New Testament in it. It's got better font. I like it a lot better. That sounds pretty absurd, doesn't it? Worth every penny of it. Reach into your pocket. Does everybody have one of these? Yeah. How much did you pay for it? $800. How long is it good for? week, three years, whatever. We all upgrade them, right? And then you invariably you get a better one, right? Yeah. I don't know. You know what? Zane, Zane, you showed me something in the water the other week. You had your phone has a, 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 a cool covering on it, right? What is it protected against? Water. Yeah. Mine's got fire protection, baby. Yeah. Fire protection. But seriously, you know, we, we all, we put so much faith in this. We look to it for everything. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, I mean, my, my, my kids, when they were teenagers, middle-aged people, my father is 86 years old, and if he misplaces his phone for five minutes, he has a conniption fit. My mother's the same way. We put all of our faith in this device for everything. Everything, you get all of your news from this device. You get all of your, 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 your socialization comes from this device. And it all changes quickly. You know, I mean, we're on Facebook Live right now. Facebook is, is, is like the current medium, but I don't even think the kids are on Facebook anymore, are they? What, they we chased them off, right? What are they on now? Instagram, Snapchat. Yeah, see, it changes, it changes. You get your news on this thing, right? CNN, Fox, I don't want to start any wars in here, but you do, right? And now do you think that the truths that you're hearing from both of those news outlets are indeed truth? No, they're not. We get our truth from this, and this doesn't change. By the way, that cost $1.20, and I think this was I think, I think this was eight bucks. I'm not sure. So, get my little clicker thing here. So today, we're gonna have, we're, we're just gonna go through one verse. And it's not that. <laughs> so if you wanna turn and you wanna turn your Bibles, however much they cost, Hebrews 11.27. That's where we are today. On your Bibles or on your phones. I use my phone as a Bible. I'll admit it. So this verse says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's a, that's a mouthful. So we're in the hall of faith right now. We're in chapter 11 of Hebrews. 
Chapter 11 itself is a cha Hebrews itself is, is a book that was written to recent Hebrew converts to talk about the superiority of the new covenant, to talk about the superiority of our great mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his ability to mediate this new covenant. So what we want to talk about here is what does this verse mean? We're, we're, we're talking about Moses. Last week, Zane talked about Moses. Zane talked about, about, about Moses' behavior, right? Moses got into a fight with an Egyptian, and he walked like an Egyptian. He did not, he did not comport himself as a man of God. He turned tail, and he ran. He ran for 40 years until the Lord called him back. And so that's where we pick up with this verse. So this verse requires that we understand exactly what it was that Moses was running from and why he was afraid. The verse itself is, is, is very, uh, you know, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Yeah, that's the second time. The first time though when Moses was 40 and he ran, he ran because he was afraid. He ran because he was terrified of the king of Egypt. He was terrified. He ran for his life. So that requires us to understand what exactly, what was Egypt? Why was he afraid? We look at these stories in the Bible, you know, especially this one. It's so easy because, you know, a, a lot of us grew up with it and a lot of us know, oh yeah, Moses, yeah, yeah, he, he went to Egypt and he, you know, said things to Pharaoh and Pharaoh got frustrated eventually because of the plagues and then he let his people go. And that's it. It's just a cute Bible story. It is absolutely anything but a cute Bible story. And I'll tell you, as I was studying this this week, it really, really hit home to me. I studied this stuff in seminary, but when I was really digging into it this week, I was looking at it from a different perspective. I was looking at it from my perspective. Think about it this way. We're talking about 1400 to say 1440 BC, 1400 years before the birth of Christ. And we're in Egypt. There is no more powerful place. There is absolutely nothing geographically located on the planet Earth at that point that was more powerful. Nothing. All of the power on the planet was centered right there. There was one man who presided over all of that power, all of the riches of the kingdom. And that man, the king, that's the word that's used there, it means the same thing as Pharaoh. It's referring to the same thing. That man was Pharaoh. Now, if you're watching your CNN or your Fox or whatever, if you're an Obama guy or a Clinton or whatever, we at least have separation of powers, right? We're sitting here in this room, in this country, in the United States of America, and we like to think of ourselves as the most powerful country in the world. And we are. We are the most powerful country in the world. But we have a system of checks and balances. President Trump doesn't have autonomy. He doesn't have the authority to act. We have a system of checks and balances. So it's not quite like Pharaoh. The amazing thing about this civilization, this Egyptian civilization, is that this, 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 from this great power, 
there, there are a lot of things that, that still last today. So for example, if you go to Egypt, what, what do you see? What comes to mind when you go to Egypt? Pyramids. Pyramids, right, Rogers. Pyramids. I, that was number two on my list. The pyramids and the Sphinx, right? How many years ago was that? 3,500 years. That's still there. Do you think that the White House is gonna be here in 3,500 years? Do you think the Washington Monument is still gonna be here in 3,500 years? You know what's gonna be here in 3,500 years from our civilization from the United States of America? Plastic bags. <laughs> it's it. And so, you know, what I, want you to, what I want you to understand is that this is who Moses was, was running from. This is who he was running from. And why? No Jesus, no hope. I made your lives really super simple today. We have two sermon points. See what I did there? No Jesus, no hope. He did it. Wait for it. So Moses didn't know God. He's 40 years old. We learned from Zane last week that he's 40 years old. He's not in Christ. He is not. He doesn't understand who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. What's it like to, to not know Jesus? I was thinking about this this week, and I thought of something that came to my mind, probably because I had to fly back to Boston, and um, you know, I was, I was on airplanes, and when, when I was in my late 20s, I used to love to fly. I got a private pilot's license, I did it in record time for the airport where I was. Um, and then I was, I was out flying one day in the summertime and, and up north in the summer, it gets hazy, hot and humid and weather comes in just like it does here. And I got caught in a thunderstorm. And so I realized, man, I can't fly around like this. This is dangerous, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt someone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crash. And, and my kids were always in the plane. So I said, all right, look, I'm gonna take this to the next level. I'm gonna get an instrument rating. So that's where you can fly without looking outside. You fly solely by instruments. You're flying on an instrument flight plan. And I'll tell you, I got that instrument rating very, very, very quickly. I was, in the, in the flight school where I was, I was known as a hotshot. But you know what I really was? I was a suicidal maniac. <laughs> I didn't have Christ in my life. I took chances that no one would take. I flew in conditions where I should not have flown. I endangered people. I nearly hurt people. By the grace of God, I didn't. You know, one, one such example, uh, I was flying back from uh, New York, somewhere in New York, uh, to, to Boston. And I was with a flight instructor at the time. It was my last cross country before I was to get my license. I filed the flight plan. I begged my instructor to come with me. He didn't want to go. He thought that the, you know, the weather wasn't good enough. And we went. We made it all the way to New York. And then on the way back, which in this little tiny warrior airplane uh, is, is with headwinds, it was, it was about a four or five hour flight. And about halfway into it, my flight instructor turns to me. It's pitch black, by the way. It's night. It's like 10 o'clock at night. It's the winter time. We're in the clouds, you can't see anything. It was, it was already instrument conditions. I didn't need to wear the, the, you know, the simulator hood because we were in the soup. And so he turned to me and he said, Seth, I don't want to alarm you, 
<laughs> We're at 6,000 feet. I'm flying an airplane. I can't see anything. Okay. I was like, all right, what? He said, we've got about three inches of ice on the wings. Yeah. You know how they say airplanes don't just drop out of the sky? That's not entirely true. <laughs> if they have ice on the wings, the airfoil no longer creates lift, and the airplane falls out of the sky, right? So it was a scary thing. So I called air traffic control, and I said, um, I said, look, we are, uh, you know, November 6th, 9th, 0 hour alpha. Um, we, we're in it, and we need to get above. What do you have for me? And so they redirected me up above the cloud deck. So now I'm at like 8,000 feet, and there's this beautiful cloud deck here, and we're out of the clouds, so we're not out of it entirely, but we're not gathering any more ice. And air traffic control came back on, and they said, uh, November 0969 Alpha, do you have a visual on American Airlines 6925 Heavy? And I was like, wow. I turned to my instructor, and I'm like, they don't know where that is, do they? He's like, no, it happens. And so I, I did. I looked over, and there's this great big Boeing 747 right there with, you know, how many souls on board? And air traffic control has no idea where they are. So I told them, and so they threw me a bone, and they, I had a handheld GPS at the time. This is back when GPS wasn't as, as commonplace as it is, and it certainly wasn't in aircraft. So they let me fly. Instead of having to fly what's called the VFR flight path all the way home, they let me use my GPS, and we made it home and landed, and my 3,000 our pilot father called me frantically, and the owner of the airport called me frantically, because I had taken so many risks. I put so many people in danger. I endangered myself, I endangered my flight instructor, I endangered all those people on the ground. God used that though, you know? I mean, he used it. We got home, and maybe we were up there because they needed to know where that plane was. I don't know. The point is though, is that I had I had no Jesus and I had no hope, so I didn't care. I really didn't care. I did not love my brother. I did not love myself. I definitely did not love God. I did not know him. And what we read about here, and so if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. What we're going to read about here is, is, is the same thing in Moses. So it says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went up to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. By the way, the subtitle of this sermon is... I almost got away with it. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he stayed down by a well. That's the picture that we have of Moses not knowing God. That's the picture that Zane painted last week. That's the picture of a man 
who doesn't know God. Then we move over to Exodus chapter 3, which is the very next chapter. This is where God calls Moses 40 years later. So what I want you to picture is Moses has had 40 years to dwell on his worst failure. What is your worst failure? Everybody out loud, all at once. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> think about it, though. Think about it. If you had 40 years to dwell on that, and then you're thinking, well, you know, I, I got away with it. I'm good. I don't have to. I'm not accountable for it. The king didn't find me, and I took off, and, and, and all is well. And then God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And God calls Moses to represent his people. God calls him to go back to Egypt to liberate his people. Moses has to relive his worst failure. And so what does he do? He brings up his shortcomings. I, I, I can't. I can't do that, God. I can't. So I, I highlighted a few of them. I think there are more. But the excuses that he used are, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of, e of, of Israel out of Egypt? Excuse. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Excuse. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Excuse. Excuse after excuse after excuse. But each time, the Lord says, I will be with you. I will be with you be with you. No Jesus and no hope. As part of Exodus, we're probably all familiar with who God refers to himself as. I am that I am. The I am's, right? You know who else did that? In the New Testament? Jesus, an astounding number of times. I wrote a few of them down. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Do you know what Jesus is doing there? He's asserting his divinity. That's what Jesus is doing there. So Moses is left with nothing. But Moses knows that he has everything that he needs, that God is with him. No Jesus and no hope. That applies to us too. You know, working on that illustration that I was talking about before with, with Egypt and the power, think about it this way. This, this really helped me to think about it in terms of, of, of modern-day tyrants. Imagine if someone said to you, I need you to go and talk to Bashir al-Assad in Syria. We all know who that monster is, right? We all know what he's doing. We all know he kills his own people. Is it right? No. So what if God said to you, I need you to go to Bashir al-Assad, and I need you to just tell him to cut it out. Stop that now. Do you know what would happen to you? 
your head would be rolling down the hall. That guy doesn't have anyone to answer to. He doesn't, you know, he barely listens to us regardless of what it is that we do. You'd be insane to do that. Or how about, how about if you went and you were, you were to represent God before ISIS? If you were to go there and say to the folks who were chopping off the heads of Christians, stop it, stop it now, you know what would happen? Your head would be rolling down the aisle. Or how about, how about something a little bit less tyrannical, or maybe more tyrannical, I don't know, depending upon your view. Civilized, perhaps? What if, what if you were to go to Russia and say, hey, you annexed Crimea. You should have done that. What do you think would happen to you? You'd end up in some Russian gulag or something like that. It, it, it wouldn't be good. This is exactly what Moses faced. But he knew he could do it. He didn't think he could do it. He didn't wonder if he could do it. By faith, he knew that he could do it because God told him that he could. You know, we are in conflict constantly. We have an enemy that we fight every single day. If you guys have been participating in the Bible study on Tuesday, we talk about that scroll in Revelation. That scroll is the title deed to earth. And when Eve was deceived by the serpent and Adam willingly went along with that deception, he handed the title deed to the earth over to Satan. And that's why the earth is Satan's dominion. Jesus himself says that Satan is the prince of this earth. We know that the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It's all over scripture. He owns this joint. And so when we take the name of Jesus Christ, when we know who he is, when we believe in his name, when we receive him as our savior, we are pulled out of this world. And what does Jesus tell us? In John 17, he tells us that we become an enemy of this world because we are no longer of this world. That's the fight that we have. But we can fight that fight because we have Jesus Christ. We have the hope that is in Christ. And know, by the way, in Revelation, as bad as that gets, even though Satan has that title deed, even now, in the end, God wins. And he gives us that amazing revelation that we have, the final apocalyptic chapter that we have in that Bible to describe to us his victory in this world. And you guys are all, if you are in Christ, you are all a part of that because you are not of this world. So if we go back, if we go back to our verse, and we, we want to pull this apart a little bit. By faith. What does that mean? Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the hall of faith. These are all people who have demonstrated amazing faith. Faith in Jesus to get through the most unbelievable circumstances we could possibly ever conceive of. 
the hall of faith is here so that we have an example by which we can follow. Just like I said in the, in the, in the intro, that Jesus is our example. And that we, as children of God, will inherit that which Jesus has inherited. The people here in the hall of faith, they too have that same promise. By faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Who's got that? Someone want to read it? Zane? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's right. And whatever translation you look at, you'll see something different. The ESV, for example, says, A faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They all mean the same thing. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to remember the end of this verse. Something's invisible. We're going to get to it in a second. By faith, not being afraid of the anger of the king. This is 40 years later. Moses has been directed to lead his people out of, the, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. So he's doing this by faith, and he's, he's not afraid. Why? Because he's not afraid of some tyrannical government. Because that government, no matter how big it is, is not bigger than God. And he knows that. Your government isn't bigger than God either, by the way. You report to God first, government second. Although we should all be subject to the governing authorities, Romans 13.1. But that's because God instituted those authorities. So why? Why? Why wasn't Moses afraid? Because God already told Abraham what would happen. We read it in scripture. Moses knew because he knew scripture. Now you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, Moses knew scripture. Where is it, where, where is it that God told Abraham what would happen? Genesis, right. So if you look in your Bibles, Genesis 15, 13. Genesis 15, 13. So the Lord is talking to Abraham. He says, or the, the scripture says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Moses knows. Moses knows he has God on his side. Moses has read scripture. By the way, guess who wrote that scripture? Moses. Moses, the inspired prophet of God. Moses wrote that. That's what scripture does for us. These promises of God will all come true. Some of them have been fulfilled. Some of them have a foretelling in the future. But they will all come true. And Moses knew that. We have the word of God at, at our disposal. Those promises are in that word. You might say to yourself, yeah, but you know what? Moses actually had a relationship with God. Moses had a direct encounter with God right at the burning bush. Moses talked to God. I did. I never talked to God personally. I mean, he's never actually appeared to me in a burning bush before. But you know what? You do. 
You have an encounter with God every time you open up this Bible. You open up this Bible and you are re you're reading the thoughts of God. You're reading the will of God. And our desire in this world, our desire should be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How can we do that? We can only do that by doing the will of God, which is in here. So the next part of our verse says, for he endured. He endured. What does it mean to endure? Terry, what does it mean for you to endure? When I was scuba diving with you, I went down once, I endured. I came up, went down twice, didn't endure. You nearly punched me in the face. And then I went down and I endured, right? To make it through it. To make it through it, right. To persevere, exactly. So the picture that we get here of, of Moses is a, a picture of awesome perseverance. Remember that guy I was just describing that he went up against, Pharaoh? How powerful he, he was? What he had at his disposal? He didn't know God, and furthermore, he didn't care about God. So what did God do? What was, what was Pharaoh's whole purpose in life? Does anybody know why God created Pharaoh? Well, he created, he created Pharaoh to demonstrate who he was and who man isn't. God created Pharaoh as his sort of puppet so that he could dominate him and display to the world his almighty power. And how did he do that? He did that with those ten plagues. So we have plague after plague after plague after plague. So each time, through seven of the plagues, the Lord says to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh to set my people free, that they may worship me. And every single time, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart seven times, and Pharaoh says no. And another plague is visited, and another plague is visited, and another plague is visited. After the seventh plague, Pharaoh says, all right, all right, enough, 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 enough. Go, but leave your children. And Moses says, no, nah, I don't think so. No. And so the eighth and the ninth plagues are visited upon Pharaoh, upon Egypt. And after that, Pharaoh says, all right, all right, all right, all right. Go, take your kids, but leave your stuff. And Moses says, no, no, I don't think so. And so the tenth plague is visited upon Egypt. And Pharaoh says, go! And Moses says, we're going, and we're taking your stuff. <laughs> so Satan, say, what does this mean to you? you know, Satan, Satan shakes us, and we have to persevere. I'll, I'll tell you, um, many of you were here a couple weeks ago when Zane and I were ordained. And I can't speak for Zane, but I know I know that what we did was right because there were so many things that went wrong, have gone wrong, continue to go wrong since that moment that it's, it's, life has been a comedy of errors. I mean, health things, financial things, relationship things, work things, everything has gone wrong. Everything. I, you know, I, I, I called Pastor Eddie and I'm like, Dude, what did you do to me? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? You, God is in control. 
How are you supposed to minister to people if you don't go through the things that they go through? How can you represent God if you don't understand the trials in this life? And you know what? That really put it in perspective. Furthermore, I call them, I call them flea bites because they're, they're a nuisance, but nothing catastrophic. They're enough where every time one of them happens, I'm like, ah! And then nothing comes of it. And then another one, ah! And then nothing comes of it. And it's been happening over and over and over again. See, anything? No? You think good to you? You're next. Right. So, so this is where the pastor in me is supposed to tell you that the way that we endure is looking to Christ. And we know that, right? That's where our hope is. If we know Jesus, then we have hope and we can get through everything. And by the way, do not fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and soul in hell. That one is God. All man can do is kill us. That's it. But we know where we're going. We know where we're going. And what we've got to do here is, in this, in this hall of faith, we were given this hall of faith specifically so that we have this cloud of witnesses, as it's referred to in chapter 12. This cloud of witnesses, these people who have been through, no one hasn't been through anything that you are going through or will go through in this book. Don't look to your smartphone for the answers. The answers are in this book. Don't look to CNN. Don't look to Fox. Don't look to Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it is. Your, your, the answers to your, your questions are not going to be found in a meme. And don't say, well, yeah, but I have scripture memes. Those are usually taken out of context, and you have to understand the context of it and whatnot. If we look, if you turn in your Bibles, spoiler alert, to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Here's the answer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that does not mean that there's a bunch of people in heaven looking down, away from the body, at home with the Lord. They're not looking at you. Grandma and Grandpa are not looking at you, nor are Moses and Rahab or Noah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these are people who have done all of these wonderful things in the face of adversity. And by the way, if you've been paying attention through this sermon series, we know that these people made big mistakes in their lives. Has anybody in here ever made a big mistake? Keep making big mistakes? God doesn't turn from them. God won't turn from you. That's why we have this hall of faith. Let me see if I can actually finish this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look, we look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. The last part of that verse says, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Who is him who is invisible? You might be saying to yourself, Well, this is the Old Testament uh, that, that, that making reference to. 
it's Moses. How could it possibly be Jesus? It is Jesus. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Who is? Jesus is. We're looking to Jesus. The reason why I went back and I told you to look at all those I am's in the Old Testament, all the I am's in the New Testament, Jesus is God. God the Son. We fix our eyes on the one who is invisible. We, how do you do that though, right? We have five senses. Tom, you're a doctor. What are the five senses? Sight, hearing, feeling, taste, smell. Yeah, but do you, do you hear, do you see, do you smell, do you touch, do you, do you whichever one I forgot? <laughs> Jesus? No, no, we have, this, we have this sixth sense. Can anybody guess what that sixth sense is? It is the Holy Spirit. Faith, yes. By faith we know he's there. By faith. That pilot, that atheist pilot that I told you about earlier, God reached into him over a decade later. And through scripture, it was a verse. Philippians 4.13, I read it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I looked at that verse and I was done. Absolutely done. I was saved. I knew that Jesus Christ was my savior. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We read scripture. We come to know who Jesus is. We come to know what it was that he did for us. We come to know what he will do for us. We know where we're going. We have hope. So God is, in this, in this world, he's conforming us to an impossible task. We have an impossible foe in Satan. So when you, you wake up in the morning and you, and you look in the mirror and you say, I can't do it, fix your eyes on Jesus. Know Jesus and no hope. But how? How do you know Jesus? How? He's given us, yes, Terry, his, his, his revelation. The Bible. Read the Bible. It is so amazing. I encourage you. I exhort you. Read the Bible. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on Pastor Eddie. Don't rely on Pastor Zane. Don't rely on Pastor JJ. Don't rely on Charles Stanley. Read the Bible. I went to seminary. I learned Greek and Hebrew. I know this stuff inside and out. I can make this thing say anything I want it to say. And you probably would believe me. Read it yourself. Let the Holy Spirit interpret it for you. Understand the scriptures. Understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. This week, I, I was asking, I was asking God for some uh, some illustrations for this, and you know, He gave me He gave me a couple of uh, He gave me a couple of really good ones. I was in Boston this week, and I had an awful time flying. 
I had a connector flight, missed it, and then the next one got delayed, missed it. There's all kinds of things that went wrong. Um, so eventually at like 10 o'clock at night, I'm in Philadelphia, not really happy. I just want to get back to West Palm. I, I just want to get home. I get on this Airbus A321, and my seat is the very last seat in the very last row with a big speaker over it, and I'm in the middle between two people. And I was like, all right. So I, I downloaded a sermon by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I was going to plug my earbuds in and ignore everybody, and that's not what God had planned, not even remotely. I, I don't know how the conversation got started, but the woman next to me, we, we start talking, and, um, and she asked me why I was going to Florida. Oh, she asked me why I was going to Florida. And, uh, and I told her that, that I was living down here, that, living down here and, that, and that I was part of a church. I was part of a surfer church, even though I didn't know how to surf. And she said, a surfer church? I used to make surfboards. So I asked the question that I ask everybody. Do you know Eddie Frederick? <laughs> and seriously, 99 out of 100 times, people say yes. <laughs> she, she didn't know him. Um, she hadn't surfed in a few years, but uh, the long and short of it is we got to talking, and I pulled out my card that has the Rasta gospel stuff on it, and I start to preach the gospel to her, and she starts to preach the gospel right back to me. She was in Christ, and it was, it was wonderful. Um, remember all those problems that I told you that I was having since, since ordination? All these flea bites? God stuck me in that position. God put me in that place that I might know real problems with real people, people who persevere, who endure, who look to Jesus. That woman who was sitting next to me, she's an ex-Marine. And the guy on my left, her husband, also an ex-Marine. They're probably maybe five or six years older than I am. Huh? Yes. They were, they were flying to West Palm because her father was terminally ill. Not very long, I don't know how long, but not very. And judging from the rest of the conversation, it wasn't very long at all. They had just buried her mother. They buried her husband, the guy next to me, his father and, uh, and his mother. 2013, 2014, 2015, death, death, death. Had to leave their job because they had to become caregivers to their parents. The struggles, but they endured. They endured because they were looking to Jesus. In 2017, in September, their son, their 28-year-old son, overdosed on fentanyl and died. And yet, these people had the wherewithal. They had joy. They had hope. They were a living illustration of what it was that I was about to preach. And I felt like a cad because I hadn't suffered like they had. They were and are light. They are the definition of having hope. And they have hope because they know who Jesus is. And finally, by the way, they said, thank you so much for ministering to us on the flight. I'm like, I, I didn't do anything. You guys ministered to me the entire time. We, 
We have somebody in, in our body here who has experienced some trouble. He's up in, in uh, he's incarcerated right now. And I talk to him, I talk to him a lot. I talk to him, um, he writes me these books. We talk over jail mail. And what he's doing is he's taking advantage of his time. He's taking advantage of his time to come to know who Jesus Christ is. He's been in there for maybe two months and he's already read the Bible cover to cover. I did that in two months. I didn't know there was anyone else crazy enough to do that. But he's done it and now he's doing it again. And he comes back at me with questions. He's memorizing scripture. He's knowing, he's coming to know Jesus. Why? If you were locked in a cell for 23 hours a day, would you have hope? He's got hope. He's got hope because he's got Jesus. He's locked in a cell for 23 hours a day with two other guys who don't necessarily know Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has given him the strength. Even though he is newly in Christ, he is what I would say is a baby Christian. He's ministering to those other two men. He's talking to them unashamedly, without fear about who Christ is, who this magnificent God-man is that saved him. He's talking to them about Christ. And they're listening. They're listening to the scripture. They're reading it together. God is chipping away at those hard hearts. I just wanted to share something with you here. In his last book, <laughs> just, the last, just the last sentence. What he does is he sends me his Bible studies. So he writes out his Bible studies, and then he writes out his Bible studies again to me to make sure that what he's doing is what he should be doing. And of course, whatever the Holy Spirit is directing him to do is right. He's in the Word. He's reading the Word of God. He's coming to know Jesus. So that last sentence here says, Our strength grows in times of crisis. I have faith, and I trust in him. He's locked in a cell 23 hours a day with very dangerous people. He hasn't been sentenced yet. He doesn't know what his future holds. But he knows Jesus, and so he knows hope. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that for all the people who are in Christ here today, that they come to know you, to strengthen their relationship with you, to read your word, to know your will, so that they may do your will. Lord, you command us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all of our mind, and then to love each other as ourselves. The only way we can do that is to know who you are and to understand that we are made in your image and likeness. If we do this, Lord, we know the promises that you have held forth in Scripture will hold true for us, just as they did for those who we read about in the Hall of Faith, 
We have those same promises. We have that same Jesus. We have that same hope of eternal life with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that if there is someone in here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they have heard your word today, Lord. If you are out there, if you are out there and you heard this and you don't know who Jesus is, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would ignite that little bit of faith that exists in their hearts. Set it on fire so that they can respond to your word. Read your word and respond to it. Read it again and respond to it and keep doing it so that they know you and come to love you and obey you and glorify you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.